Isaiah 58, calling on God without caring for God. Because you're scamming him. You're trying to get something from him and give really nothing in return. Isaiah targeted this practice in the very beginning of his prophecies in Isaiah 1. One of the great passages of Scripture, beginning in verse 10 of Isaiah 1, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom, give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. He's addressing the chosen people. Their behavior was so bad at this point, he refers to them as Sodom and Gomorrah. To what purpose is the, ma- is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and of fat and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and, and the sacred meeting. Now, I'm reading all of this because it has everything to do with what we're going to cover in chapter 58. He continues, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. And he continues to just lay out what they were doing. They're low views of God. And if you have a low view of God, you're going to think, one of many things, you're going to think that you can fool God. External compliance for selfish gains. This is what they were up to, and he was not having any of it again. So he's dispatching his prophet. Today we have... Many people in pulpits that are doing the same thing. And then you have other pulpits that are pointing it out, rightfully so. Just like Isaiah is told to when we get to the first verse, it's very clear. that The message from God was, I don't care for insincere faith. Get your act together. And churchgoers who suppose the Bible is not relevant in its entirety are the devil's dupe. And try to point it out without a not about offending anybody, it's about helping them, repairing the breach, those breaks in the walls of faith that have, have allowed the enemy to penetrate into the city, which is metaphorically the life. Verse 1, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. That cry aloud the full throat, literally in the Hebrew. The prophet is commanded to say it loud, to make it public, to expose their dishonest and their illegal devotion. Such rebukes are always in effect in every age against all who would be guilty of disingenuous religion. But again, here he's singling out within his audience the the people of God, the descendants of Jacob, Judah. Likely this is during the days of Manasseh, but you cannot be, we can't be dogmatic with that because there's no dates written into it. We'll get back to that maybe later. Anyway, tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins, that they are religious frauds provoking me. An audience that was using religion to get goodies. They were bringing the the sacrifices. They were fasting, although in both cases it was corrupted. Uh, The fasts were really false. He was going to point that out. And why some pastors and people think that worship is to get goodies and never mind sin is, is beyond me. I don't see how anybody can read the Bible and think that we need to give sin a low profile and just find out what we can get from God, which this defines the entire prosperity movement, but not them alone. You have the other liberal movements that say the Bible's not true, and, and they're really not interested in dealing with sin. So why, why even claim to be a Christian? Why not just go start another religion up and call yourselves so we don't care about sins or something like that? Or 
the soggy bottom boys. I don't know. But anyway, verse 2, Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Well, it sounds like they were doing the right thing. But he points out here, they're acting like a nation who is righteous, but they're not. And you're going to get to that in verse 3. Outwardly, they behaved as though they sided with God, but it was all lip service. They expected to be treated as though they walked amongst the devout. There are many people that are going to that die, and uh, they expect a heaven just because it's them. And how do you how do you reach them? How do you tell them that you, you just can't make up the rules, that there is a creator, there's no way around it, and he has rules and he has made them known to us. And yet it's a popular practice. And sin is the culprit, it's always spiritual. It's always all of man's problems are spiritual. That's what all the way back to Eden. A lot of people occupy themselves, well, what will people think about me when I'm dead? Well, who cares? What will God think about you when you die? That's what matters. What's he going to do with you when you die? They implemented the whole fake religion thing. They were just going down to the temple, bringing their sacrifices, saying, praise Yahweh, I have so much in my life. But they were criminal. The entire time, it was to get something from God by acting like they're obeying the truth and treating people like dirt. And no problem. Conscience did not bother them. They hoped to be rewarded for pretending in the face of God, and which is further elaborated uh, in verse 13. But, you know, that's the benefit of reading an, an entire passage of Scripture. You can't say chapter because sometimes the chapters aren't Enough. You've got to go into the other chapter a little bit. So that the whole passage, the whole subject that's being dealt with. In my devotions, I was reading about Dathan and Korah uh, and um, Abiram betraying Moses and Aaron. And, you know, what made them so bitter? Well, it was the spies that came out of the land that God judged. This kind of stuff, you know, so they make the little snide remark. You're going to kill us in the wilderness? And, of course, God dealt with them severely and rightfully. We were happy. There's a happy ending from this side, on this side of heaven to get rid of those who were causing the people to stumble. You know, the scripture is just, um, just so full of lessons. Old Testament ritual ideas appealed to them because it appealed to their sense of worth. See, look what I did. I went to church and I served. I went down to the temple and I sacrificed. But the meanings of those rituals and the moral applications, they were unappealing to the audience that Isaiah is addressing. And it seems to have been, again, widespread at this point. This is one of the reasons why it seems to be into the reign of King Manasseh, that wicked king uh, who who gets saved in, in the end. But... It does seem to be during his time. There were always those that were idolatrous and, and immoral, all the reigns of all the kings. But there were spikes upward of evil, where evil was exalted more so than at other times in, in the days of the wicked kings on the throne. Sort of like the people were glad to be rid of a good king so they could do their dirt and get away with it. And, though, and thus the prophets... Uh, address these things. They had no intention of complying with all of what God had said. Uh, for instance, the God condemning idolatry. They had household shrines. I mean, the, who are they kidding? And, uh, you know, the way God moves his prophet is he begins to point things out. And the prophet, you know, just n- sort of naturally, it's supernatural, but it's using a natural, taking a natural route. Isaiah's just seeing these things and the people he's dealing with. And it begins to grate on him until finally, you know, it, it forms into a message from the Lord. It's all of, all of the Lord's doing, but he finds in a man like Isaiah, 
the right heart, the right mind. Well, they felt they deserved blessings because they went to church. They, they came to the temple, they offered sacrifices, they faked their, their uh, fastings. You know, it's sort of like, well, I'm going to fast today for two hours. Oh, are you kidding? Why don't you just say ten minutes? I mean, it's not a fast. They were doing hokey things like that and, and still looking for rewards from God. And, and so with, with a, no intention of heeding God's word, which is what Paul said to the church at Corinth, potent words, examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith, test yourselves. And as time goes by, as the decades roll past, it's a good exercise to, to examine yourself Again, there are reasons why you may not be as, uh, have the same pep in your step as you did as a new believer. Because over the years, you've, you've seen so much action, things have caked up on you. Well, you've you got you to gotta get those barnacles off. You, you can't let them stay there, and it takes hard work, and that's part of examining yourself. Checking what your motives are, because they can become clouded if you're not careful. Well, this next verse exposes this delight to know the Lord. So if we look back again at verse 2 to keep the context, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. Yeah, they act like they're seeking me. They're acting as though they're righteous, like they're people who haven't forsaken their God, but they have. And that's where we come to verse 3. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls? And you take no notice. I'm in verse 3, Isaiah 58. In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. And so there the prophet is saying, you're not kidding anybody. In your day of your fast, you find pleasure. In other words, you're finding ways around the whole purpose, the purpose of the fast, which is to afflict the soul. They were offended that God did not fall for their pretended devotion. Why have we gone through all this religion? Why am I sacrificing for Christ and I'm not getting the job that I want? I'm not getting this and all that. They, they obligated God to bless them for practicing the religion of the Jews. And there are those who do it in all religions. If all the blessing, this is an old question, I think I ask it every now and then, it did not originate with me. It's a good question. If all the blessings in your life stopped, would you still serve the Lord Jesus? Job, Job did. All the blessings stopped in his life. And he continued to be a man of integrity and he did not become a blasphemer. These people that Isaiah is addressing, many of them, his neighbors, those around the palace and the communities, wherever he would find himself, those related in some way to his family members, his loved ones, they complained that God did not honor their fake offerings. It's like, hey, I've given you a counterfeit $100 bill. Why won't you cash it? Because I know it's counterfeit. It's illegal. And they complained that he ignored uh, that he ignored them for ignoring him. <laughs> it's crazy how these people work. I mean, even into the New Testament, they will heap up for themselves teachers. How do you do that? How do you say, you know, we're going to shop for a pastor who says what we want to hear, never mind what the Bible says? There's nothing wrong with shopping a pastor that preaches the word. There's something entirely wrong with shopping for one who doesn't preach the word. And so, why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? They expected a reward for pseudo-piety. This complaint reveals that their quest for God lacked care for God. They did not delight in his person. It was a scam. They wanted something from him. This using a religion as a vehicle for personal gain is ill-advised. They were troubled by supposed powerlessness of their religion. Now, you know, a believer's going to come across seasons in life where they're 
religion seems powerless in the face of opposition. And blessed are those who are not offended because of me. If it wasn't so, then there would be no such thing as a martyr. And a martyr doesn't have to die to be a martyr. You can just suffer to be a martyr. It qualifies. Uh, but uh, they were supposed by the powerlessness of their religion, not the error of their ways. Well, Isaiah wasn't the only one pointing it out. Psalm 78, they flatter him with their mouth, and they lie to him with their tongue. That's two-faced. Speaking with a forked tongue. Of course, Isaiah 29, which Jesus quoted and applied to his generation to let us all know these things they go without interruption. Jesus, quoting Isaiah twenty nine thirteen, here's Isaiah saying, Therefore, the Lord has said, Inasmuch as these people draw neighbor with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. Men make up other rules, counter rules. They bypass what God has said, and they come up with an, oh, I got another, the creative idea. Formulas criticizing God, calling him indifferent. <laughs> They're the frauds. But rather than examine themselves, let's just blame God. Well, he continues here. In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure. Well, it wasn't a true fast. Finding ways around fasting to the Lord while proclaiming a fast. I'm sorry, I can't eat that right now. It's fast. Well, I don't like that anyway. I mean, I don't know how. It doesn't tell, give us the details. I'm filling in some of the blanks. Uh, bottom line is they were cheating. They were scamming God and those around them into thinking they were honorable people. But they were doing real dirt in the community, in, the, in their culture. It says, and exploit all your laborers. There it is. Corruption. That made them scammers. Some churchgoers ignore unchristlike behavior in themselves and in those who they decide they don't want to see, uh, you know, condemned because they're one of their buddies or something. Well, here they are in Isaiah's day. Unchristlike behavior, but still acting like they're in love with Christ. Now, I mean, we all goof and, some, you know, sometimes we don't reflect the glory of Christ, but we, we're upset by that. That's not our... It's not what we want. These folks didn't care. An intellectual delight in Bible knowledge. They delighted in hearing about my ways as the righteous do. But it wasn't genuine. Intellectual delight and nothing more. You can't do anything with that, but Satan can do a lot with that. Satan can do a lot with somebody who has just enough Bible knowledge to be dangerous. That's what a cult is all about. That's where these cultic leaders, these Charles Russells and Joseph Smiths come from. They're not interested in the truth. They're motioning with their religion that uh, they're moving toward God. They have no intention of delighting God. They're going to write new things about him. This is the case with King Saul. And Samuel had to you know, live through that junk but it was enlightening to Samuel. And he, so enlightening, Samuel felt, you know what, I need to tell everybody about these things. It started off when God finally had it with Saul, and Samuel did too. And Saul, you know, goes ahead and lies about how he's serving God. It was all hypocrisy. The evidence was glaring them in the face. It didn't matter to Saul. The... the quintessential narcissist. But now your kingdom shall not continue, Samuel said to Saul. Yahweh has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And Yahweh has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what Yahweh commanded you. So he's saying it's the heart, Saul. It's what's inside the person. It's spiritual. It's not natural. It's supernatural. And you chose to flunk. Later, when he finally gets in front of the one God, first, of course, David's old, elder brother, Eliab, comes out, and Samuel, the great prophet, yeah, this has got to be the next king of Israel. 
And, and, and the Lord gently corrected him. I've enjoyed that from the pulpit at times. There's some a bullet point I have and I'm going to say it and God comes along and says, don't say it this way. Or, no, that's not, that's not how I want, what I want. And I, it's pleasant. It's not a you know, harsh experience. Maybe you're sharing the gospel with somebody and you're going to let them have it and God comes along and says, give them some grace. Or maybe it's the other way. It's like, don't give them grace. <laughs> give them the law. So, you know, but you know, as you're, you're thinking to say something, God comes in. And that's what the case with Samuel. And the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature. Because I have refused him, Eliab. For Yahweh does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but Yahweh looks at the heart. Samuel says, I have, get, get me a notepad, quick. I can't forget what just happened here. And he gets it for us forever. And this is what, these people had this story. They were raised with this information about David. And yet, they were perpetrators. They weren't alleged perpetrators. They were criminals. And they had the story about God not looking at the outside, but looking at the inside. Yet they were giving God the outside and withholding the inside and demanding that he receive them nonetheless. Form of spiritual extortion. And to this day, people demanded God. Cain demanded, you accept my fruit basket. And God says, why are you angry? If you do right, if you do right, then, then things will go better for you. Well, again, remember they had household shrines, idols, and God saw their heart. Verse 4, indeed, you fast for strife and debate. They think they were getting away with this. And you strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. I'm not receiving that kind of fast. They quarrelsome churchgoers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate. One of the glorious things about heaven, you won't have to debate anybody. You won't have to argue a point. Try to convince them or point out that they're wrong. Paul, you know, Peter said they twist the scriptures to their own hurt. You can't fix them when they're that convoluted. It's just they're done. Because they don't want the truth. But the problem now is, are they gobbling up others? Peter said, they're going to make merchandise of you. They're going to exploit you. Because they're greedy and then Christless. So the spiritual side had become external with these people. Not internal, where it belonged. The, 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 all of their religion was on the outside. There was nothing left. The carnal side was internal. So it's flipped around. Their carnality was deep within their hearts. They did not want to give their lives to God. They wanted to give their lives to religion and a type of religion that made them feel good about themselves. You, you know, look how articulate I am as I write creatively about heresy and call it truth. Deuteronomy, uh, well, you know, again, God not accepting the sacrifice that is unaccompanied by love for him. And the Jews knew that. David had, his psalms were already published, all of them, by this time. Because he's long dead, David. So they knew about love for God, devotion for God, integrity and sincerity. Psalm 119, they had this material. Back in Deuteronomy, which they were supposed to review over and over again, because that's what it takes. Anytime I've read the book of Deuteronomy, I've been blessed. Seeing it through New Testament eyes, as it was intended, is just quite remarkable. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Jesus quoted this as, as the commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with everything you've got. Well, the flesh objects to that, and that's where the war is. And this, the very thing that was missing from their formalism. Other people were taking uh, sacrifices to the temple, but they loved God. Isaiah would take his sacrifices. He loved the Lord. So it wasn't like it was just, you know, them. Uh, others were lined up to sacrifice, but God could see who was who. 
He could sort them out, not even having to glance. These uh, very things missing from their formalism is continued in the New Testament, and Paul warns about this. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Okay, so this thing about love, what does that mean? Because the people who are giving to feed the poor, they think they have love. They they only want to help the poor. But God is saying, there's a higher love than that. There is an agape love. And if I don't come first, all those things don't count. Because if that kind of attitude got into heaven, you'd have earth in heaven all over again. Then we'd be back to debating and all the other things that go along with this fallen world. It's the flesh. Years ago on the greeting line, a lady came through and she evidently ran a food pantry at her church. Now, I'm not opposed to food pantries unless it makes the, uh, the majors minors, which is what I deduced was her issue. So she was shopping for a church because the church she went to, again, discontinued. They had all this equipment, and she's looking for a pastor to say, we would love to have you here. But there was no desire for the word. I could, I could detect no desire for the word. I had a little back and forth with her, probing, and she's not interested. She just wanted to give works, not worship. Well, what about the message? What about the preaching? What about the verse by verse? Well, where's that in the New Testament? Martha and Mary. Martha was in the kitchen. Mary was sitting at the Lord's feet. Martha tried to steal her own sister from Christ so she could help in the food pantry where the works were. And Christ gently rebuked her. Now, Martha receives the rebuke. She doesn't, you know, fuss, and later on we see her again, she's fine. That's the ideal, but it's not always that way. But that was a Brilliant example of if I have not agape love for the Lord, then all that other stuff doesn't count. But if I have the love for the Lord, then I'm going to do these other things. I would love for us to have things like that if God did it, not us. If God opened those doors. Uh, I'm not against, you know, helping the poor, not at all. Uh, I'll come back to that because, it's again, it has become... Uh, leftists have muddied the waters, uh, and they always do, and they've always been around. So we're not shocked by that. We're just irritated. Uh, coming back to this, God was well aware of their hypocrisy, their confrontation, their exploitation, their violent nature when they couldn't get their way, as, you know, the case. You know, why do you have to have a policeman at a voting booth? Because there are people that will do violence to get their will done. Anyway, back to this. He says here in verse 4, And to strike with the fist of wickedness. In the midst of their religious formalism, they were brutal. Be it by tongue, be it by the evil eye, or be it by assault and battery. Threatening you, then hitting you. And he continues here, To make your voice heard on high. You, you do all these things and you still think I'm supposed to hear you when you bring your sacrifices, when you play church with me. This brand of religion fails to reach God. That's what he is saying to them. If they wanted God to take notice as they complained he wasn't doing back in verse 3, and we're in verse 4, then they were going about it the wrong way. They'd have to have more than just this external approach to God. And... Hypocrisy's disingenuousness slams the doors of heaven shut. And he's not interested after that. False religion. It tends to produce self-satisfaction, self-justification, self-righteousness, self-awareness. All the, before the iPhone and the iPad and all these other i things came along, there was, it was already there. As far as because this has got to be the most narcissistic age in the history of creation. It is just incredible what we're seeing. Now, thank God it's not everybody, but I don't, some of you may not be catching it. 
and, and good, good for you. It's not like you don't need a course in this. Well, this, of course, false religion accounts for the... Well, the legalist in, in Luke's gospel that Jesus pointed out in his parable is being judgmental and smug towards others, which they were. That's why they were exploiting their laborers, this upper class or upper middle class, whoever they were. Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. <laughs> this is get the language of that. Because God's not listening. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Ooh, well, let's just roll out a red carpet for you. <laughs> there are people like that. And it's nothing cute or funny. Uh, but this is Isaiah's, these, this is his target audience. Of course, again, we always clear it's not everybody that was in Isaiah's day. It's enough of them to merit the prophet going on the warpath against them. And um, verse 5, Is it a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast? An acceptable day to Yahweh? So the prophet is appealing to them and he's using a little satire, of course. And he's saying, what do you call this? Is this what God wants? You really think this is what he, he does want? The things you're bringing to him, but he wants the heart. Well... So, is this a fast that I've chosen? Where'd you get this from? It's a question that those who fall for heresy don't ask. Oh, you've got to read this book. Well, you better consider the source. Where does it come from? Well, it doesn't come from the throne of God. That's what the Lord is saying here. He says, God is saying to them, your brand of religion conveniently sidesteps the guilt of sinners, which God is always dealing with because that's who we are. And the day that we're no longer sinners, the day God doesn't have to bring it up anymore. But your zip code will be different when that day comes. It, it won't be spelled out in numbers. It'll be spelled out in letters, and the letters will be heaven. So the only implied fast, because it doesn't come out and say, you will fast on this day. But it is certainly implied with a strong enough hand that prophet Isaiah links it to this Day of Atonement, that where God says, uh, it's the, of all the feast days of the Jews, this is the one they were to afflict their souls. And it's just one day. And the rest of the, the, rest of the feasts were more joyful. Uh, and so God is saying, I don't want you somber all the time, but you still got to deal with sin. And it is uh, Leviticus 16 and Leviticus uh, 16.29 and 23.27 is where I, what Isaiah is referring to here. Uh, the only binding Old Testament law concerning fasting. And the fasting was supposed to stir them to repentance, to reflection, to consider their ways before the Lord, to examine themselves, as Paul mentioned to the Corinthians, Concerning personal sin, not the other guy, not this tax collector, me, to afflict my soul, to face, to face myself, is not pleasant. I mean, it's very difficult to even listen to yourself on a recording. I, I, do I sound like that? I know you're worse. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, from a remorseful heart before the Lord. They, they would be received. That was the intention of the Levitical law and, and, and concerning the Day of Atonement, to get it right. In New Testament times, fasting had become so well established in the Jewish religion and society that in Mark chapter 2, they challenged Jesus about it. How come John and the Pharisees, they fast, but your disciples don't fast? To which he responded by reducing the fast and elevating himself, which I, this is just remarkable. Well, they've got me. I mean, who can say that? Who can say, can you imagine going to a church and why don't the people in this church ever fast? Well, they've got me. I mean, that would be blasphemy, unless you're the Son of God, and therefore God the Son. 
And so I, I love that, that, you know, they, it went over their heads, but it, it goes over our heads sometimes too, but not now. Fasting without a contrite heart is useless and it is offensive to God. And this is what they were doing. It says here in verse 5, is it to bow down his head like a bulrush? Where's the humility is the point. And you're fasting. Are you humble? No, because you're exploiting people. What is the humility in that? And to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Are you kidding me? These external observances, you think, ooh, look, he's wearing sackcloth. Ooh, he's ashes. Where, it's not sincere. Is this your idea of pleasing me? You think this, this covers the debt now, right? While you get up from whatever you've done and go off and continue to make others miserable. Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? You call this worship? That's what the question is. You, did you think I wouldn't see through this? Here's an interesting thought. <clears throat> Amos comes a little bit before Isaiah. He's to the northern kingdom. Malachi comes long after Isaiah. And he's to Judah when they come back from captivity. And both those prophets deal with this very thing. The false worship of the people. Bringing in their sacrifices that are, are lame and, and blind or, or, or you know, just unacceptable to God. But want, to Malachi says, try that with the governor. Go bring him your junk and see if he accepts it. But no, you're going to take it to God. And you're not ashamed of this. You're looking for a blessing in return. Amos, he's, he says, you know, I'm sick of you people complaining about, oh, the Sabbath, we can't make profits because of the Sabbath. Everything is closed. So the reality of sinful nature is just nothing new under the sun, and nor am I looking for anything new under the sun. It's just not going to come. It's when we get over the sun, be through the sun, that we'll, we'll have all new things. Behold, I make all things new. Verse 6 um, is this not a fast I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, that you break and that you break every yoke? How about abstaining from misbehavior? How about that for a fast? You want to abstain from something? How about abstain from sinning or treating others like this? This is what formed their pretense. Their failure, their chosen failure, to not comply with the scripture. God wanted them to turn away from abusing others. But why? We're enjoying it. It's really nice having slaves. I mean, every time even the mow season comes, I wish I had servants. Because I would have them mow the lawn. But, but, so my, my point is, of course the flesh would would love to relax, but the spirit not at the cost of others. Um, so uh, anyway, um, history has not lacked this. Had their fasting been built on the love of God, as we covered from Deuteronomy, then God, um, then they would not have been abusive. And He's going to get to this at the end of this chapter. He said, "If you just did it right, I could pour blessings out on you, but I, I can't." And the things you have now, they're not blessings because you're successful. Uh, materialistically speaking, doesn't mean that um, it's going to go well for you. Exploiting others. You know, when you exploit others, you are evidencing no fear of God. Because there's no consequence. I do whatever I want so I can treat you like dirt. Nobody's watching. It's worth worrying about. Well, you're wrong. And that was their problem. And this was after the days of Solomon, when Solomon wrote, The Fear of the Lord is the Beginning of Knowledge. But they didn't care about the Bible. Uh, it's an ongoing problem in Bible times and in, in all times. People oppress the weak. And uh, Luke's, uh, I like this in Luke's gospel because they had the means to help without losing anything that they had, but they withheld it because they were greedy. Uh, we, we get a lot of that from other sections of Isaiah. Luke chapter 16 tells a story about the rich man, I'll just read it. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in fine purple and linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, 
giving him opportunity to serve God, giving the rich man an opportunity, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So he was a sad sack, you could say. In this country, there are the poor and there are the homeless, very much a product of corrupt and incompetent and Christless, progressive, leftist policies by those who are anti-Christ. This is not political, it is factual, and it muddies up the waters and it makes it very difficult to be kind to those in need because there are programs in place, but there's so much corruption that you can end up enabling the corruption by trying to do good. Uh, years ago, I worked in a very tough neighborhood in New York, Bedford-Stuyvesant, and um, it wasn't always a bad neighborhood, but it was then, and it probably still is. But anyway, um, there was this we, we, the overhead train, the elevated train system. We'd work on the steel, and we'd work in sections for maybe a week or two, and then you move on, and we circle back around. And I'm, that's part of the story. There was this one woman that would come around asking for money, and those of us uh, who lived within the five boroughs and some of the other savvy ones, we knew better and said no. But there was one bleeding heart. He was a good guy. He wanted to do right. He says to her, well, I'm not going to give you any money, but I'll take you to the grocery store, and I'll buy you some groceries for your, your children in your home. So this went on for a while. I don't know, maybe once a week. And um, eventually, we, when we circled back around, one of the locals came up and said, you know, she was scamming you the whole time. She'd, you'd, you'd buy her these groceries. She'd sell them at a discount to other people in the neighborhood, then she'd take the money and buy her drugs. And you were enabling it. She didn't say that part, but that was the gotcha part. He knew it. Everybody knew it. But this is what I mean. It's not so simple anymore. We're in a different time in history. Man has built up evil momentum over the ages in, in civilization. And it's just, it's just not so easy. And I'll, I'll return to that because I think... Christians want to help those who genuinely have a need, but it's not easy to always identify them. There goes the food pantry, and there are those that benefit from food pantries um, if, when, they're, when they're properly done. Well, coming back to this, verse 7, is it not to share your bread with the hungry that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Well, I was thinking the other day as I was watching the snow come down, where I used to live up north, I was saying, how many times did I go out to help somebody get their car unstuck <laughs> in the snow? It was all the time. You could hear them. You know, you hear them racing the engine trying to get out of that, and everybody would come out and help them. And it's always nice. And it's like, they had to get to work. I mean, what are they supposed to do? Um, anyway, we want to help people, but evidently from this verse 7, this condition was widespread, as I mentioned, probably under the reign of Manasseh, who created these conditions through his iniquity, his evil. And the, 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 many of the people just loved that. Okay, good. We don't have a righteous king to hold us to the law. Uh, uh, but here in verse 7, these people were more than poor. They were destitute. And the prophet says, how do you just walk past destitute people that uh, have, you know, even Jesus was selected. Remember, he went to the pool of Siloam and he chose one guy and he healed him. But there were a lot of other people there and he did not heal them. So it's wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. It's, it's a little... Tricky, but it's not so tricky when the Spirit leads you. And usually we know God puts somebody on our heart, and they stay there. They sit right there till we act. And if we don't, then we, we have a sense of guilt because somebody else comes along and does it. Man, I was, I was supposed to do that. Well, verse 8, Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of Yahweh shall be your rear guard, verse 9. Then you shall call on Yahweh, uh, and the Lord will answer. No, pardon me. Then you shall call, and Yahweh will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, 
the pointing of the finger and the speaking and speaking wickedness. These are the things they were doing. And he's saying, clean up your act and I'll bless you. Um, this is Old Testament, though. The New Testament church is a different assignment. This was the, the people of God. This was their society. Uh, we, on the other hand, as a, the Jews, again, I repeat this, the Jews were persecuted for um, not obeying God. Christians are persecuted for obeying God. We go into a society and we stick by our faith and the world persecutes us. Well, in the Jewish society, when the Jews did not behave the way they were supposed to, God let the persecutions into their life. So it's kind of a, a different mission and we shouldn't lose sight of that. Um, so, but uh, righteousness is righteousness. That part doesn't change. But how, the, how, how we apply these things is modified somewhat. Verse 10, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as noonday. So do your duty, John, his first letter, chapter 3, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And again, this is not just go out and just start throwing money at problems, because as I pointed out from the anecdote that I shared, um, that co-worker, he threw money at the problem, and he ended up just sponsoring drugs. You, you, know, you know, it's just not that simple anymore. Um, and Martha's food pantry is another one. You want to do good, but first things first. You want to change how people behave, you're going to have to change how they think about God. And even then, even then it's going to be a fight. Verse 11, Yahweh will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Verse 12, those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall rise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach and restorer of streets to dwell in. Well, looking for solutions amongst the problems in righteousness, uh, but why repair the breach since it didn't hold the invaders off the first time? Well, because a fresh start... A fresh start is not to be underrated. That was them. This is me now. I'm going to try. I'm not better than them. I'm saying I'm better, but I'm going to, you know, go, not going to give up. I'm going to go at it with righteousness. Um, I, I think it's a, when, when you can look for solutions to problems, it's so much better than just criticizing the problem or pointing the fingers, as pointed out, pun intended. Um, you, you just, it's a joy to, to look for a solution and find it. Uh, with lives, with people. They don't always make it easy. So again, the leading of the Lord. In pastoral ministry, it's a joy to give people a chance to serve. Um, I know what it's like when you don't have a good church where you can serve, and I know what it's like to have a church where you can serve the Lord. And it's always puzzling how many people get a chance to serve, and I think it just it's not appreciated. Uh, I think their attitude is, you know, well, I'm doing you a favor, which is uh, not healthy and not true and not not wise. Um, sitting under the word again, back to Martha and Mary. When you're just serving in a church and you're not sitting under the word, you're going to be a problem. It's just a matter of time. If it's a Bible-teaching church, a Bible-serving church, it's just a matter of time before the criticism monster gets hold of you and you start causing trouble. Uh, but you, you've got to be able to sit under the word. I, have, as a pastor, have got to be able to study the word. I can't just, you know, look for somebody else's notes and repeat them to you. I have got to spend time there, too. So the next time you think, boy, the service is going a little long, remember when I'm studying, it's like, boy, when is this chapter going to be over? And I've got another, I got another commentary I've got to start, too. Uh, it's, it's worth it. Verse 13, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your, ple <clears throat> from doing your pleasure on my holy day, there it is. The Sabbath, they would turn from it to do their pleasure. This is what they were doing with everything, continuing from doing your pleasure on my holy day. And call the Sabbath a delight. 
the holy day of Yahweh, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. So there's, again, their disingenuous faith, the scammers of God. They're trying to scam him into blessing them, and he gets nothing in return. Uh, from doing my pleasure on the holy day. Well, the Sabbath interfered with fun. Well, maybe that's you. Maybe you don't want to go to church because you got something else you'd rather do. Well, you know, that gets away from you very quickly. And it's harder to get back. Uh, I, I won, you know, before, in the harder times of ministry, I took a year off from voracious reading. And I, I you know, I'll never do that again. I said, you know, that was just a big mistake. So just, uh, you just, you can't give the flesh an inch. He gets his nose in the tent, man. You gotta, you're gonna have to struggle to get him out. Anyway, you call, uh, and call the Sabbath a delight is what God wanted. And I already mentioned Amos and Malachi who addressed this. Amos 8, 5 and Malachi 1, 13. Worth reading just on that subject alone. Verse 14, Then you shall delight yourself in Yahweh, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. So God wanted to reconstruct his people so that his people could reconstruct people. Uh, He wanted to fix things. Isaiah 1, verse 20, But if you refuse and rebel... You shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I'm going to withdraw my blessings. You're going to pay. There's a devil that wants to devour you. I pray that I may know what God says so that I can do what God wants. How would I know to do what God wants if I don't know what he says? And the only place he says it is his word. It is a very big deal. Let's pray. Our Father, your word, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, nothing like it. Truly, it is a gift. And uh, may we avail ourselves of every inch of the scripture. We love and worship you. May you get us home safely tonight. Um, Keep our pipes from freezing. Those who may need that blessing may be upon you. These things in Jesus' name, amen.